I don't know. Lori is taking children to the nursery. Um, and actually, uh, Jess left the room, so I can't have her do it. But if you're a young child who's not quite young enough for nursery, um, we have coloring pages and folders with crayons and activities and whatnot. And so um, if, you need, if you need a folder to help keep you busy and entertained during the sermon, uh, somebody's handing them out, I'm sure. Lori is? Or Jess is? now. Um, and so if you want a folder, raise your hand. If you want something to color or word search or mazes to do, this would be the time to raise your hand. <laughs> All right, I got a disclaimer right up front, and it's a bad way to start a sermon. Um, I'm, I'm not well today. I, uh, I woke up at about four in the morning with, with a fever and, and I, it looks like I'm carrying this flu around with me. So, um, everybody in the front couple rows in the splash zone, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can, I can back up. Um, so if you're in the splash zone, I'm sorry. And, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and if I say something dumb or if I seem a little low energy today, there's my excuse, okay? Um, I don't know why I say dumb things every other week, but this week it's because I'm sick. So um, we're going to pray right quick before we uh, before we start the message. Um, Heavenly Father, I uh, pray that you would be with us this morning. Help us to uh, come to know you more through this time of worship and hearing your word. I pray that you'd put your spirit in my heart and help me to um, speak words that reflect what your will is for these people. In Christ's name, amen. Oh, and I had one announcement I forgot. Um, the nursing home, did that? did somebody announce that without me? Um, we're going to the nursing home this afternoon to lead worship there. There'll be food after the service for folks who are going or folks that really just want to eat. Um, it's pizza today. I don't know how much we have. Um, Jess isn't here to answer my comment. I rely on her so much, and she's not sitting there. Um, <laughs> so um, have any of you guys seen the movie uh, uh, Bruce Almighty? Oh, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I uh, um, We're, we're going to be talking about... Our, this, is, this will be our last reset button sermon. This is part four in the series. If you've missed the previous three, at least two of them are online. One of them didn't record right. And so if you look in your bulletin, there's information on where to go to listen to them if you, if you want to hear them. We'll do a brief review. And, and, um, but as I was working on this message, I, I, I kept thinking of Bruce Almighty. And, and um, for those of y'all who haven't seen this movie, it's, it's about a fella, um, Bruce, right, which is sort of in the title. Um, Bruce has has a pretty good life, but he doesn't recognize it, and he blames God for everything that goes wrong. And finally, God gets sick of hearing him and says, if you think you can do it better, you can be God for for a little while. And so Bruce gets to be God for a couple weeks, and he screws it up royally, right? Like, like he, he um, starts out answering prayers, and he decides it's too much work to answer prayers, and that everybody should just get what they want. And so he just says yes to everybody's prayers. And so, like, the lottery happens, and, like, a thousand people win it, and so everybody gets, like, two bucks. Um, and, and um, you know, the hockey team, the local hockey team in Buffalo wins the Stanley Cup, or is that right? There are Canadians here. Is it the Stanley Cup? <laughs> um, sorry, it was a Canada joke. Um, and, and so, you know, there's this point in the, in the, in the movie where he's doing his first live broadcast at the desk as the anchor at the local television show or program or station. And he's, he's all excited. It's like the moment he's been waiting for. And the power goes out because there's a riot going on outside because he's totally biffed being God. And everybody's angry 
about things not going the way they want or them getting everything they want and it not working out the way they wanted it. And, and so um, he, he leaves the studio and he goes out and he's standing in the middle of this riot. And, and um, he's like, all right, God, you can take over now. You know, I'm done, I'm done being in charge. And, and like, like people are burning cars and like there's this big billboard of him that falls over and, and nearly kills him, actually. And, and it's this point that, that, um, you know, he's ready to quit. Any of you guys ever had these moments where you look around and the whole world has caught fire and you're thinking, could this get any worse? Um, and, and what we're going to be talking about is this idea that, that, um, through our relationship with God, through following God, um, through living the life that we're created to live, um, there's a degree of reset we can bring into the world. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like if you're playing a game and you get stuck, you hit the reset button and you get to start over. Um, I was reading this morning about a game from the 90s, Populous. Is anybody old enough to know what I'm talking about? One guy, thank you. Two guys. <laughs> um, Populous was a game where you got to play God and you created the world and you got to interact with your people. And if you messed up too much, you could just start over. Right, we're going to be talking about starting over today, like in the whole world, um, and and um, well, as we talk about this, we're going to do a quick review first. Right, the first week we talked about resetting ourselves. If if we're not reset ourselves, there's no point. Okay, everything starts with God resetting our souls, um, and and this is the message. It's not online. Right, what this is is when God like comes in and and takes us from being the wicked people we are and makes us clean and brand new inside, right? Our souls are made new. Um, the second week, which is online, um, we talked about um, how God can reset our behavior to make the outside, how we live, match the inside who God has, has made us into, right? Um, last week, we talked about resetting your family. And, and this, this message was largely about how do you deal with the people that tick you off that are in your immediate circle, Right, your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, your—I don't know—I, I, you know, the people in your immediate reference, and and the big thing we talked about with that was was the two greatest commandments. Right? Somebody asked Jesus, "Well, what's the most important law I'm supposed to follow?" And Jesus responds, "Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and." Love your neighbor as yourself. And we talked about, and that's going to bleed into today's sermon, which is why I wanted to do a little bit of, of background. Um, the passage for today is Luke 7. Uh, so if you're going to follow along, it'll be on the screen, but you can also follow along if you've got a Bible in front of you. Okay. Um, Luke 7.35. Now, one of the Pharisees um, was request, requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Um, we're going to go bit by bit here. Um, for starters, um, in this culture, you had very small towns, right? Like smaller than Big Sandy. Like Big Sandy would be considered a pretty good-sized town, which is amazing. Um, but, but in this culture, they had really small towns. And if you had a dinner party, it was generally the case that your house would be very open, right? And people would be able to just kind of come and go as they pleased. And so you might invite somebody over for a dinner, but the whole town might show up. Like, like, it was a very normal thing for everybody just to come over. And, and um, part of this is because of the um, Oriental attitude toward um, hospitality. Hospitality was the most important thing in the entire world. If you were inhospitable, um, it, it was reason, like, it was shameful. It was reason to kick you out of a community. It was, it was considered a pretty big deal to be inhospitable. Um, this guy, he's a Pharisee. We're going to find out in a little bit. His name is Simon. 
right? Simon is, being a Pharisee, is a member of like this religious elite. Maybe some of you guys know people like this. He's perfect, right? Don't point at me. Um, <laughs> come on, that was funny. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm sick. It's <laughs> And so he's a member of this religious elite, and he follows rules perfect, right? He does the rules better than anybody else. And in fact, actually, he's taken the rules, and he's expanded them to cover every possible possibility, right? Like, so I follow the rules better than you, and not only do I not work on the Sabbath, but I also don't go for walks on the Sabbath. I don't, there was an extreme sect of Pharisees that wouldn't go to the bathroom on the Sabbath for fear that it would be working. Like, I mean, these these are guys who were trying, I'm not making that up. Um, <laughs> these were guys who were trying as hard as they could to follow the rules better than everyone else, right? Um, the problem with that was that they would generally look down on everybody else. Right? They would look at the guy next to him and say, well, you're not doing as good a job at this as I am. Um, and, and so, so these guys are religious elite and they're kind of arrogant and they're really judgmental and, and for the most part they're kind of jerks. Everybody with me? Like that's the, the picture we get in the New Testament. The last thing here, because they're eating a meal, the Pharisees were super, super, super serious about cleanliness. Right? Because um, for the Jewish people, you, you had things that were considered to be unclean, like pork. We, if you were Jewish, you wouldn't eat pork, right, or shellfish, or or what have you. The the Jewish people were one of the only ancient cultures that washed their hands before they ate, right? Like like, and to put this in perspective, they're surrounded by animals all the time, and like bathroom facilities aren't what they are now, right? But they would like like, and still, these are the only guys who washed their hands before they ate every time, right? They scrubbed and everything else. And they had a whole religious ceremony. And if you didn't follow the religious ceremony for washing your hands, it was considered pretty offensive. Isn't that crazy? Um, in fact, it was considered sinful. Um, and so this guy would be uber, uber serious about cleanliness. Now, when they would eat, they would have tables that were really low, right? Like, like very low to the ground, and they were U-shaped. And you would lay down by the table with your feet pointing away. Anybody know why? Yeah, because your feet were probably pretty dirty, right? Like, so you would lay down by the table with your feet pointing away, and people would lay around the table, and it would be this big U-shaped table, and everybody would eat, and they would serve from the inside, right? And so Jesus is reclined at the table, and they're all eating, and in comes a woman. Um, there was a woman in the city, this is 37 to 38, who was a sinner. Um, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. All right, we're going to pause here. Um, she was a sinner is how my particular translation has it. Some other translations um, will call it different things. In all likelihood, she was a, a professional of sorts. Um, she, was, she was a prostitute, right? Like, like she, she was somebody who um, um, was welcome to show up because everybody in the town was welcome to show up. But she was the one who wasn't welcome. <laughs> you with me? You're like, everybody can come over. But some of you know you're not welcome, right? <laughs> and, and this is this lady. Like, like, um, she shows up because everybody can show up. But she's not somebody that the Pharisee wants over, right? She's somebody that, that he looks down on because, well, she's, she's a prostitute, right? In this culture, to put a little perspective on that, um, women weren't allowed to hold property, right? And they couldn't have jobs. And so if you were a woman and you were unmarried, you had a very short list of options. You might go and live with your parents. If you didn't have parents to take care of you, you might become a servant. 
If you didn't become a servant, you might become a slave. And then there was this, right? Like that's the only other option. You have a very limited career scope for, for women at this time. And so the fact that she's in this position, um, isn't necessarily because she, you know, got the brochure and thought this is a glamorized career. It was probably out of necessity. It was a, it was a normal, like necessary thing. Um, it's sort of implied that she's heard Jesus teaching, right? Because she's really moved. Um, and she shows up to find him because she's really moved by him. She's so moved that she comes and she sits at his feet and, and cries, right? Because, like, she's so, um, she has so much gratitude over the message that she's received. In this culture, again, prostitute, not going to heaven, right? But God hates these people for the majority of the religious folks. Jesus comes along and starts talking about grace and forgiveness and um, being made new in, in, you know, like in God's grace and, and, and whatnot. And she's so moved that she finds him and sits by his feet because it's where you would sit by somebody at a table if you couldn't sit at the table. And she, like, sits there and cries, right? And she's crying. I don't know. Any of you, some of you guys are married or spend a lot of time with women. Have you ever seen somebody, like, really bald? You know, to the point that everything gets wet. You know what I'm talking about? This is the degree of crying she's doing. She is just broken and just absolutely weeping. And as she's weeping, her tears are making the dirt on his feet run. Right? Some of y'all are ranchers? Or have spent time on a ranch? Um, the primary mode of transportation in this culture was animals, right? Horses or camels. Um, if you had sheep and you were bringing them to market, you brought them right through the middle of town. And so if you walked around in town wearing sandals, they didn't wear shoes like we do, they wore sandals. How nasty were your feet at the end of the day? Like I, I've spent time on the Bitsis farm and I've gone out into the barn and I had to wear boots up to my knees because everything is disgusting. I mean, am I missing something? Does it get more pleasant as you go, like you don't notice it? No, it's still gross, right? Like, it is gross, gross. And, and you know, this, this is the town they walked around in, right? Like, it's everywhere, and it's dirty, and it's dry, because it's kind of a desert climate, and it's dusty, and, and, like, you know, he's so dusty and dirty, as she's crying, the tears make the dirt on his feet run. And, and she's not a welcome guest, right? So, as a an unwelcome guest, she doesn't get to stand up and say, hey, do you have any guest towels? I'm going to just go ahead and finish washing his feet. Right? She can't ask for them, so what does she have? Well, as we read on in the text, um, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair from her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with a perfume. So she doesn't have a towel, and so she does the only thing that she's got. She lets her hair down, and she wipes his feet with her hair. This is kind of a weird story, right? I mean, culturally, this is pretty out there. Um, to offer some perspective, women in this time and in this part of the world never, ever, ever wore their hair down. Um, the only time you would let your hair down was for marital enjoyment. Everybody with me? Like you would let it down. For this woman to drop her hair down in a public setting would be somewhat on par with, with a woman showing up without her shirt on. Right? Um, it, it, it was shocking. Um, and, and it was a big deal. And um, the fact that she was washing her feet and doing this was a very intimate act. Right? Like it was a very close and a very intimate act. And everybody in the room is instantly uncomfortable. 
right? She also takes perfume and she pours it on her, on his feet. And, and that's kind of a, kind of a big thing. Women at the time, by the way, would wear vials of perfume around their neck. It was a very common thing. For single women, they would wear it because that's where you kept your dowry. It would be a jar of oil or a little vial and you would wear it around your neck, right? For her being a professional, she probably had the perfume to pleasant things up a little bit. Um, I, this is so hard to preach. I'm just, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, and, and so, um, she takes this perfume and she pours it on, her, on his feet. This would have been a very expensive gesture, right? Like hugely expensive. But there's also a lot of symbolism going on because what would normally be a dowry for a woman, right? Like your hope, your thing that you carry around with you is what she like poured out on him. I mean, this is, this is a hugely intimate, a hugely submissive act. Um, why is she doing it? She's that aware of how screwed up she is. Like how in trouble she is. And she's been told, you're free from it. You're brand new. And she, she is hugely affected by that. Um, so much so that she wants to like, like bow down and, and, you know, worship Jesus. Um, I already covered all those. Um, Luke 739. Now, when the Pharisee had invited, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of person this woman is who is touching his feet. She is a sinner. Um, instead of sinner, most translations render this an unclean woman, right? So the really clean guy has a prostitute in his house, and he's uncomfortable about it, right? She's an unclean woman, and she's touching his feet, and her hair is down, and oh my gosh, what is going on? Why are you letting this happen? It's offensive, right? They are like up in arms at this point. And um, Jesus responds, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 denarii. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave both of them. So which of them will love him more? So the quick question, he says, hold on. I'm going to tell you a story. You answer my question. Um, you get two guys and they owe the credit card company. One guy owes him the credit card company, you know, $50, and the other, 500 And the credit card company, in its own wonderful grace, says, don't worry about it, keep it. Because that happens quite often. Um, <laughs> oh, I know, it's terrible. <laughs> and he says, who's going to love that man more? Who's going to love the credit card company more? And Simon answered him and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Now check how he says this. I suppose it was this guy, right? Does that sound like a committed answer? Does that sound like a guy who wants to have this conversation? We're getting a hint as to who Simon is. And the bigger, like, in-your-face moment is coming up because Jesus is sometimes a really in-your-face guy. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water to my feet, or for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, but, but she since the time I came in, has not ceased kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she anointed my feet with perfume. Okay, now a little context here. If I were a guest in your home, right, one of the first things you would do as a host is you would kiss the person who came in on the cheek, right, if it was an equal. If you were a sub-person, like if you were lower than that person, like if I was going to have 
um, somebody who was wealthy or like prominent in my home, I would kiss their hand, right? Because it was a show of submission. But you always did the kiss. Um, Jesus got no kiss. What does that mean? Well, the Pharisee invited him over and made a show of the fact that, you know what? I'm this much better than you. I don't even have to greet you. Didn't give him water to wash his feet. Again, in this culture, hugely offensive. It would be like somebody coming into your house and not even talking to them. Come on over for dinner, and you don't even address that they've showed up, right? Only it's worse than that. This is a brazen, outright insult. The guy invites Jesus over and immediately insults him. Um, and let's take it a step further. Anoint my head with oil. Hot climate, dry, dusty, very common to give olive oil, right? You guys know what olive oil is? It comes from olives. Um, and you would give olive oil to anoint the head, right? Which was a comfort thing. It was a very pleasant thing to do. And um, again, you did it every time people showed up. Um, it, was, it was how you were polite to guess. Um, he didn't do any of that stuff. Why? Because he invited Jesus over and spent the whole time making it a point that I'm better than you, right? It was like eating dinner with me. Oh, he laughed at that. Um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> and so, so he's insulted this man, but Jesus comes in and this woman comes along and she like is submissive and she's loving and she's worshipful and she's a- affectionate, right? Um, now a quick things, um, by not offering, um, he was insulting. Um, I'm, I'm not going to read all of these. I'm sorry. Um, the Pharisee would be a guy who's like a religious elite. He would have gone to school as a, as a, um, Jewish male. In school, by the time you were nine, you would have memorized the first four books of the, or of the Bible, or first five, excuse me. So that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Memorized, right? By the time you were 15, you would have memorized the entire Old Testament. This is how schooling worked. This is a guy who knows everything there is to know about God, right? But knowing everything there is to know about God, he meets him face to face and insults him. <laughs> like, like really insults him. In this culture, this kind of level of insult is, is kind of next level. Like, he knows everything. He is God's biggest fan, but I didn't know God from a hole in the ground, right? I mean, you might go on my wife's Facebook and learn all kinds of stuff about her, right? But if you've never met her, you don't know her, Right? I might be able to tell you everything about, I don't know, I can't think of anyone. I, I might be able to tell you um, everything about a sports star or an actor or a writer. But it doesn't mean I know him, right? This is a man who didn't know God. How do we know he didn't know God? He insulted him to his face. <laughs> didn't recognize him. The woman, on the other hand, it's a pretty good like guess that she knows almost nothing about who God is. But she knows a good thing when she sees it, right? Um, she's affectionate and intimate toward him. She demonstrates love and, and connection that the guy who knows everything doesn't do. Um, it's the difference between a fan and a follower, right? We talked about this a little bit last week. Um, the one guy's a fan. He knows everything, but he ain't a part. The gal, she knows very little, but she knows enough and she loves, right? Um, I'm going to move on here to 47 to 50. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. 
those, excuse me, those who were there, or those who were reclining at the table said, or with him, began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith is saved, you go in peace. So um, the woman knows how much trouble she's in, and she loves God more so because she's forgiven. The Pharisee knows he's perfect. Is he perfect? No. But he knows he's perfect. He's pretty sure, right? And so he has nothing for God. Um, one of the beginning steps to like, like impacting the world is us still, right? We have to be aware of what we're wrong about. We have to be repentant before God. Repentance drives greater things. If you've stopped paying attention and don't realize that you do wrong stuff occasionally and you got nothing to say to God about like where you screw up, that's a starting point. Um, our bigger application um, starts with looking back at love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, Right? This woman who loves God more than anything, who loves Jesus so much that she would like debase herself in a crowd of people for him. Um, she's going to do anything, anything for him, right? Um, how does this play out? Well, there's a great line in Matthew 25 um, where at the end of the world, God, Jesus comes back and he gathers up all the people and he says, all right, you guys are goats, you go over here, and you guys are sheep, you go over here. And the guys who are sheep over here, he says, well, you guys are coming to heaven because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in jail, you came to see me. When I was naked, you gave me something to wear. When I needed something, you did it for me. And they're like, we didn't see you. When did we do all that? And he says, whenever you did it for the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. He says to the goats, right, you don't get to come. Because when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was naked, when I was in jail, you didn't bother. And they're like, when did we see you? I don't remember seeing you. And he says, if you didn't do it for the least of these, my brothers, you didn't do it for me. I don't know you. Go away. Um, what does it mean? Part of knowing God, part of living out this love God, love your neighbor, is serving God in the form of the people around us. It's touching lives that we come in contact with. It's doing everything that we can to demonstrate God's love in the most concrete way possible. we got folks around here that are great at this, right? Um, John is really good at this. You watch him spend time with little kids at Good News Club. These little bouncing off the wall makes you want to pull your hair out, you know, <laughs> elementary school boys. And he, he's patient and he's loving, right? Um, we're surrounded by these folks. The way we live demonstrates where we're really at. So how do we change the world in this respect? Well, I have a video, actually. Um, some of you guys know Sandra Walder, Waldner. You guys, she was actually out to speak to Good News Club a few weeks ago. Sandra was a Hutterite. A Hutterite, I said that correctly, um, a few years back. And she left the Hutterite colony, and she became a missionary. And she goes to um, Uganda. And, and she works in an orphanage. I'm going to show a video here, um, except that I don't apparently have my video. Is it going to work? No, maybe. She goes every, every few years. She's going to be out there for two years. She's just about to go again, and she works in orphanages in Africa. Oh. Jerm was brought to Amani when he was two years old in October 2011, after his mother had died of AIDS, and his father, who was in the hospital, was also dying of AIDS. 
Jaram himself was suffering from tuberculosis, severe malnourishment, and is also HIV positive. Even though we thought he was going to die every night, we continued to pray. And as we prayed, God continued to show us his perfect plan for little Joram. We started Joram on a two-hour feeding of special milk 24-7 and later on a peanut paste. Because the tuberculosis caused constant vomiting, tube feeding was our only option to keep him alive. And as time went on, Joram got stronger strong enough to even sit up again. Jesus answers our prayers. Jarm was finally healthy enough to be moved back into the orphanage with all the other children. He continued to improve and was loved by everyone, even his future adoptive parents. In May 2012, he became a son again. He will forever be loved by this wonderful Christian couple, regardless of his HIV status. And he will forever hold a place in my heart. As you, as you watch this video, I talked to Sandra for a little while when she visited a couple weeks ago with Good News Club, and you could tell talking to her that as she looked at this kid, this, this little, like, dying child, right, that she saw something more than just a child, right? She loved him beyond what normal people would. Um, in, in Africa, um, there are enough people killed by AIDS every year to fill the city of Chicago. Like, Chicago, every bed... Every home, completely populated, like that many people die of AIDS every year. The orphan, like the number of orphans that, that come about as a result of this is unreal. It's, it's one of the worst tragedies the world has ever, ever seen. And Sandra looks and says, I've been forgiven much by God. I owe an awful lot and I love him. I'm going to go and I'm going to find folks and I'm going to serve them. Because in doing so, I serve Jesus. Does that make sense? Um, there are other guys who did this over time, and, and, and I'm going to just touch on a few. Um, the 12 disciples were guys who knew Jesus personally. They had sort of an inside edge there. They went out and they, they shared the gospel with the world, right? All but one of them, the 11 disciples, Judas hung himself, John died of old age, the other 10 were tortured to death, like telling people about Jesus. Because they loved the people around them more than they loved their own lives. Right? They shared that message. Um, we see it in the early church when, and actually the same thing happens in Africa. Um, oftentimes parents will take children and just leave them in a field. You know, like a one-year-old or, or a, you know, even a newborn, and they'll take them out and they'll put them in a field and go home and, you know, well, we didn't want a girl. Or um, it was actually Roman law that if you had a child who had any deformity, you had to kill it. And in the early church, Christians were persecuted for collecting those children up and raising them. Because, doggone it, that's not what we do. Um, these are people who loved despite the difficulty, right? Not rich people, not people who could say, well, just throw another one in the house. It's all right. 
And it wasn't just that these kids went to the poorest families in the church, you know, or the ones who tried the hardest. It was considered to be the, the responsibility of everyone in the church to take care of kids, right? So, so a child would like be raised by the church community. This is love that exceeds what's normal for people, right? Love that would drive you to lay at the feet of, of a man who died, you know, would eventually die for your sins and, 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 you know, debase yourself because you, you're so moved. This is a powerful, deep, abiding, penetrating love that makes you love children even when they're loud and because they're wonderful. That was my daughter, right? <laughs> um, if you wanna, if you wanna see this as well, actually, you can go out to Haver and spend a little time in the soup kitchen there and watch the folks there work and give dignity and food to folks who can't afford it, right? I mean, these people are all, all around us. They're at the nursing home right now, folks who have no family and no visitors, right? Um, and look forward to having folks come and sing with them. Um, this is what we're called to do. This is how we reset the world. It's not as easy as finding a giant button and hitting it, which would be nice, right? It's little bit by little bit, finding Joram, nursing him back to health, demonstrating God's love in a concrete way, right? It's going over and helping your neighbor who can't help themselves. It's forgiving people who are big jerks and don't deserve it, right? This is how we reset the world, by living this out. And my challenge for you this week is to look for opportunities to do this. Not because it's the rule, right? I have to be nice to people or else. But because we love much, because we're forgiven much. We're going to close in prayer. We've got one more song, so I'm going to call. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this week. Help us to um, serve you in everything that we do. Um, and help us to love the least of these. Help us to love in a way that is unreasonable, that's hard, that's passionate, that's abiding and penetrating. Lord, I pray that you would... Give us the grace to love those we encounter and to see you in the faces of all those that we, that we meet up with. In Christ's name, amen.